Welcome to the Writer Experience Podcast, presented by FlickeringMyth.com. I'm your host, Court Dunn. Join us as we talk to writers about their work, their process, and what it means to be a writer. Today's episode is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial at www.audibletrial.com slash writer experience. Audible has over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. Welcome to the Writer Experience Podcast. Today's guest is Hannah Moscovich. Hannah is a Canadian playwright who rose to national prominence in the 2000s. She's best known for her plays East of Berlin, This is War, Old Stock, A Refugee Love Story, and Sexual Misconduct of the Middle Classes, for which she received the 2021 Governor General's Award for English Language Drama. Her newest project, AMC's Anne Rice's Interview with the Vampire, for she is a writer and co-executive producer, is now streaming on AMC, and its first season's finale premieres on television next week, November 13th, 2022. Hannah, we are very excited to have you on the show today. How are you feeling? I'm good. Thank you so much for having me. My first question is always, where are you in the world right now? I know we talked about it briefly before we started recording, but would you mind just recapping where you are? I mentioned in your bio that you're a Canadian playwright, but I happen to know that you recently made a move. So would you want to tell us a little bit about your location in the world right now? Yeah, I'm in the Hollywood Hills in Los Angeles, and I've moved from Halifax, Nova Scotia, Canada, which is really small, to LA, which is just a very alien landscape from where I'm from. And have you been adjusting to the LA slash Hollywood lifestyle out there? What are the main differences, both in regards to obviously career, but also just life in general? I have never seen Like in all of my years living in Canada, I haven't seen this many car accidents. Like I've seen so many cars flipped over on the road. I never saw that in my life. People drive here like maniacs. And yeah, like just going to the beach here, you're like, it feels like you're on a movie set because everyone is so smoking hot. And they're also always, always recording themselves. It's just totally different from the world I come from where everyone is there in Nova Scotia for lifestyle and for quiet and for peace and to just like sit by the North Atlantic Ocean. It couldn't really be more different. As far as why you're there, I know we discussed it, like I said before the podcast, but are you able to talk about why you were able to move to LA and for what career purpose? Yeah, I would never have had uh, the bravery to move here without being offered a job. I was offered to come and write on season two of Interview with the Vampire. I wrote on season one during the darkest days of the pandemic, and I did it from Nova Scotia, from my house. They had a really international story room. There were Parisians, and people were hailing from New York and Chicago and LA. And then they had me in Nova Scotia. Before we even get into, you mentioned, you know, getting involved in the first season of Interview. Before that even, I would love to take it back. We usually talk about origin stories. I read your bio. You're obviously a playwright as well. Can you walk us through your career trajectory and what led from, you know, did you always want to be a writer all the way to this point now where you're working as a TV writer? I feel like a veteran, like I'm 44 years old and I've been doing this since my like early 20s. So I've been at this, I've had like a 20 year career now. 
Yeah, well, I went to the National Theatre School of Canada, which is a conservatory program. Like it's like uh, Canada's Juilliard or RADA in England. So I went to a conservatory, but I studied to be a performer. And it was very clear in my time there that I was really shitty at it. And that the thing I was good at was playwriting, even though like I wasn't like I was unwilling to accept that about myself. They wanted to switch me from the acting to the playwriting program. And I flat out refused. I was super insulted. I told them they had to graduate me as an actor. And then I graduated as an actor and I never acted again. And I only wrote. But I did spend a good five years bartending in Toronto before I started to have any professional success, like five long years of having beer all over me. (laughs) Yeah. And then I started to put up my own plays at a festival called Summerworks in Toronto. It was self-produced at first. And then I had successes with those plays. And so a number of the theater companies in Toronto and around Canada sort of jumped on that success. And I ended up with 11 commissions to write plays all at once. And I was made playwright in residence at Tarragon Theatre, which is Canada's leading New Works theatre. Yeah. And then I just tried to fulfill my commissions and wrote and wrote plays one after the other, all through my 30s, started writing for television, did podcasting, did radio drama, wrote operas, but you know, stayed in Canada for the most part. And then, you know, during the pandemic, got an offer to come right on Interview with a Vampire. Love where you left that off because it's exactly where I was going to pick it up as far as getting that offer. Can you walk us through how that comes about? Obviously, a lot of the listeners are always curious how a writer gets a job. So in this case, especially during the pandemic, what were the circumstances that resulted or came about that led to you working in the first season of Interview with a Vampire? Well, yeah, it's actually, it's a, so much of my career, honestly, I'm a really passive person in terms of my career. Like I really do go where I'm, I'm offered jobs. I don't advise this, although it's worked well for me, honestly. Rollin Jones, who's the showrunner on Interview with a Vampire, a couple of my plays were put in front of him by Adam O'Byrne, another Canadian and an actor who knew my work. And, you know, Rollin was like in a phase where he was just reading a ton of stuff to try and find writers, you know, for his room. And uh, I interviewed and one of my questions was, you know, don't you have writers in LA? <laughs> like, I was really like, why would you want some like weird Canadian playwright to come write for you? Anyway, it turned out he did. And so I was offered to go into that room. And it was really like just based on him reading one of my plays. And now that the first season is coming to an end, we've got the second season. Just in general, the reviews, the Rotten Tomatoes score is very impressive. I know before the podcast, we talked about you sometimes checking those and whether you should or you shouldn't. But how are you feeling about the reception so far going into the finale and even into the writing of the next season? I mean, it's one of the beauties of writing on someone else's show is that I can, I can just like openly say how gorgeous I thought the writing was of the pilot. And that was the big draw for me. It was like gorgeous and like explicitly queer. And Rollin has such depth and range in his voice. Like he's got dark humor. He's got like really raunchy humor in his voice. He's got profundity and melodrama and drama and like just depth of feeling and complex characters and complex emotion. 
and really surprising character journeys. Yeah. So I felt like my own writing, I really like a mix of tragedy and comedy. It's very Jewish, um, you know, and so it felt like a good fit for the kind of writing I like to do. Yeah. And so like, I felt like when I was reading the reviews, like I felt a kind of triumph. Like I was like, I thought so. Like I knew it. This is what I saw that was good in it. It's why I started to, it's why I signed up to write the show with Roland because I thought that what he was doing was beautiful. And I thought the the adaptations he was making to the source material, to the canon were really impressive and really smart. So reading the reviews really just like reinforced my own feelings of narcissism about my choices in life. As we move forward into process, I would love to start perhaps with the world of Interview with the Vampire, specifically before we get into being in the writer's room or anything. How does this particular version of the Interview with the Vampire fit into the greater mythos or world that has existed before? So we've got the original book, 1976. We've got the movie, 1994. And I believe that AMC almost has its own universe that's taken from the original book. Can you walk us through that world, that canon, so to speak? So I definitely know what the intention was towards that. I mean, I know that because there is the book and there is already a movie adaptation that's for purists and for the people who love the canon, it was very much the project of AMC and Rollin to innovate and to plus it, to do like, what is our original take on it, given that there is a movie and a book that will always be there? What can we do that is... So like our interest was always in doing what was authentic, but not necessarily what was accurate to the books, if that makes sense. Like authenticity over accuracy and always an original twist or an original spin on anything Anne Rice did and then movie did. And that was like the mandate. You mentioned, I believe that there was a pilot that already existed that you read going into working in the writer's room. At what point was the show at when you got brought on? Was the writer's room being assembled and it was at that very early stage? And from there, what were those initial next steps to get the show going? So yeah, we came in with a pilot and a Bible. And a lot of the show is in Rollins' head. And a lot of the sort of the big innovations in terms of the content were already in place. The story had been moved up into the early 1900s. Louis was no longer a slaveholder, but a black man who owned seedy property in Storyville, which was the only place a black man, a Creole, would have been able to own property at the time. And Daniel Malloy was now, this was going to be the second interview. And the interview, instead of being in 1973, was going to be 2022. And a second interview where Bogosian would play Daniel Malloy and be in his 60s. So all of that was in place when we came in. But then after that, <laughs> innovation was up to us. There was a room of us who came up collectively with the, you know, what those innovations would be. And it's always an odd process because you've got the novel there. So some of the plot, you know, like the general structural outline of it. Then there was just a story room of us trying to come up with what were the best versions of innovations for the rest of the first season <laughs> and trying to write Claudia, 
which was something that both Eleanor Burgess, who was a writer in the room, and I did, was a little like being pushed off a cliff because there was no Claudia in the pilot. So that was like totally up to us. Can you break down for us, for those who don't know, obviously in the writer's room, not only are you plotting out the arc of the story and the characters over the course of episodes, but you're also individually writing scripts. Can you walk us through your journey in that process? How long did that initial arc process take, as well as the script writing? So from your perspective, what were those steps like? Yeah. So, I mean, Rollin was very generous about giving us lots of time to try and come up with episodes. So we often had, you know, three weeks to a month to come up with an episode, which felt really luxurious. But yes, (laughs) off we went to write episodes for sure after being in the room and all collectively coming up with, you know, what the story was, what the story would be. So the story is generated collectively and then the execution of the story is generated individually. And then, of course, Rollin does a pass to make it conform to the vision of the show, which only he holds. You mentioned that this was all happening during the pandemic. Were you affected much by the writing process? I imagine the room was over maybe Zoom, and the actual writing process was maybe you writing Home Alone. Were you even affected by the fact that you were writing with other people across the globe during a pandemic? Yeah, it was strange to work so closely with people I had never met in person. And I worked very closely with them for five months. It was very bizarre. I mean, there were beauties, though. It meant I could be home, you know, in Nova Scotia, where I live, with my seven-year-old son and my husband, you know. And then the downside is I never got to work with them in person. And there's all sorts of ways in which you work in a story room you know, like you're queuing, it's like you're building something organically with other people. So you're queuing off of body language and you're queuing off of just like the physical presence of other people that you can't queue off of in Zoom. So that was the, you know, it was a mix of things. We have a lot of writers on this podcast. Do you like what writers write? Do you like free stuff? Well, Audible is offering a free audiobook download for listeners of the Writer Experience Podcast with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. I recently downloaded James Joyce's Ulysses for my commutes into the city, while our producer Harry, who may or may not exist, has been enjoying J.R.R. Tolkien's The Hobbit. To download your free audiobook today, go to audibletrial.com slash writerexperience. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash writer experience for your free audiobook. What's your favorite film of all time? It might be a sophisticated classic, a childhood favorite, or an enjoyable pile of trash you just can't help but watch over and over again. The Pick of the Flicks podcast, hosted by me, Tom Beasley, is all about celebrating people's favorite movies in whatever form they take. Each week, I interview a different guest about their chosen favorite, whether I agree with their choice or think they're as mad as one of Tom Hardy's accents. So tune in to Pick of the Flicks every week on the Flickering Myth Podcast Network and subscribe with your podcast app of choice. Maybe your favorite film will be next. Hi, I'm George. And I'm Sam. And we're from the That's a Classic podcast on the Flickering Myth Network. We both bring three films each from a certain genre and we battle it out to find out which is the ultimate classic. So you can listen to us on Flickr and Myth, iTunes or Spotify. Check out what classic we choose every week. You are a playwright as well. 
Can you walk us through the difference of the process? I know it's a tough question to answer, but as far as writing a TV screenplay or teleplay versus writing a play, I know plays are probably much more dialogue, smaller stage direction driven. A TV teleplay or screenplay probably has a bit more description. Can you walk us through those differences and how your mind is working through that given your experience as a playwright? Yeah, I mean, like I have been primarily a playwright in my career. And so I'm still in the throes of trying to figure out this transition to TV. You know, at first, I started writing in TV in 2013, 2012, 2013, somewhere in there. So I've got like eight, nine years. No, I've got like 10 years of doing this. Oh, no. But still, I would say like, the way I feel doing theater, like I really feel like I know what I'm doing in theater so totally. And I still have a feeling of like, what is this? What bullshit am I writing about camera angles when I write TV scripts? So yeah, for sure. Like TV scripts are more visual and it's all based on, it's image-based. You can tell story, whole chunks of story just on image with no dialogue at all. That's more difficult to do in the theater unless you're in a full out collaboration with other theater creators who can like make visuals with you. It's just a less usual way of working in the theater. And dialogue in theater carries the whole story. The whole story is interpersonal generally in theater. Like all the conflict is interpersonal, whereas writing TV opens you up to, you know, conflict with a helicopter exploding over your head and raining fire onto you. There's just a whole other level of conflict that you're able to access. So I'd say like, those are the big, you know, on the page differences, then the process is entirely different. And that's the part that fucks me up sometimes. Because if you're a playwright, you're used to generating and executing at the same time. So I execute to generate work. In TV, that is split up. So you are generating collectively with a group of people in a room, and then you execute afterwards. And so to divide out that process and to like verbally pitch a whole story is still like, I still work for that. I work really hard for it, but I work for it. It doesn't come as easily to me to just turn the camera on in my mind when I'm not also writing at the same time. I'd say that's the downside of working with playwrights, probably, or at least with me. The upside is that we come in with a lot of knowledge of complex character and write dialogue like maniacs. We're like killer dialogue writers, obviously, because that's our whole medium. How do you go about keeping dialogue concise? Obviously, like you said, your forte is writing strong, brilliant dialogue. But I know, obviously, in a scene of a TV show, it's a few pages. How do you whittle it down to keep the dialogue concise and say more with less? As a playwright, I'm pretty minimalist. So that's less of a challenge for me. I also write thin. I think some people write that and then they cut down. I don't really do that. But for sure, I still do a pass always for that. Like read my work and be like, what could be pulled out? Like what could be communicated with less? Like, do I really need these three sentences to communicate this rather than just one? Am I just repeating the same idea three times? Like, how minimal can I get this? How crunched down? In a writer's room, we've heard that there are different personalities. What type of writer are you when you are involved? Obviously, there's a lot of voices, a lot of opinions, a lot of different personalities. 
when you go in and you're having to throw your voice in there, who are you? How do you separate yourself from the other writers? That's such a wild question, especially right now, because I'd say that in the past, I was definitely the playwright who was brought in to write the bottle episode. (laughs) That's at least what I got told. Because early on, when I was starting to write in TV, someone was telling me about all the sort of different personalities in a TV room. Like there's the character lady and there's the story machine. And I was like, well, what am I? And uh, the person who was telling me this was like, oh, you're the playwright who writes the bottle episode. And I was like, oh, okay. Well, that's fucking clear then, you know, and I sort of understood like, right, there's like a toolkit in the story room, like a toolkit for the showrunner, like different writers are doing, fulfilling different needs of a story room. It's complicated right now because I'm the co-executive producer on Interview with a Vampire. So I'd say my role right now, you know, I'm either in the room with Rollin and I'm working really hard to keep the, like the big picture in mind, like I'm trying to think through what every micro change or every micro pitch, how it affects the macro. I'm also trying to think very big structurally about each episode and what we want to see in each episode. And then I'm trying to think of great scenes all the time. And I'm trying to turn that camera on in my brain and think of like, what's the most surprising, dark, fucked up, amazing, original, beautiful, poetic scene here. And I'm trying to, often I'm trying to synthesize a lot of the pitching that's happening in the room. So I'm going to go like, oh, if I take this pitch from this person and this pitch from this person, I smash them together. What do we get? You know, I'm also trying to think about length all the time and I know how long we need. But then also sometimes Roland is out of the room and I'm running it. And so then I'm doing his job and I'm trying to, you know, be him. The finale is coming out next week. What are you most excited about without saying too much? What can you say? What is your thoughts, feelings going into it? Is there a sense of closure knowing that the season is wrapping up? Yeah. What are you excited about? Oh my gosh, that's a minefield of a question. I mean, When you ask that question, immediately what happens in my mind, the picture I see is I picture me and like a couple of writers in a room and the moment of us knowing some of what would happen in the finale and like the moment of it like sinking in that that's what it would be. And like kind of knowing in that moment that like I could see into the future of like what reactions would be. If that makes any sense. Like it kind of felt like a shockwave moment where I was like, ooh, I can see into the future, like what fan responses might be to this. So yeah, that's the moment I think of when you ask me that is like the moment of being like, oh, that's what we're gonna do in the finale. Oh fuck. Okay. Going into season two, you are now in LA, which means you're probably working in person. You had in the first season worked remote. What are the main differences? What are you liking versus what was maybe better? Did you like being alone a little bit more when you were writing the first season? Walk us through that experience of now being, I imagine, in a writer's room that I would assume has at least a few people in one actual room. Yeah, we have a couple of rooms. We have offices. It's wild. I'm meeting a lot of the people that I would have just worked with online for the first time, you know, and like... It leads you into all sorts of really weird conversations. For sure, you're like, oh my God, that's what you look like? Because you have a whole different idea of what people are like. They have different personas in person. But yeah, I mean, I think like the really 
dull answer is like, yeah, there are harder parts about this for sure. So like my son is here with me. He's seven. He's in a new school in Los Angeles. My husband is here with me and now he's the one doing his work remotely. His work is in Halifax. And so um, we'll see. We'll see how, you know, how long it takes for their patients to wear thin. With that being said, season two, you're now, you know, starting up on that second season. Going into that, before we go into the bonus questions, any closing thoughts with season one wrapping, season two beginning, any last things you want to say about the process on either of the... Oh, like just generally? Yeah. One of the beautiful things about being here is getting to work on a show where I admire the showrunner so profoundly and the industry allows us to do work that's really like complex and fucked up and beautiful and queer explicit and not conservative and you know that like is shocking and surprising and original and all of these things that you know I've admired American TV all my life and it's amazing to to write it you know that's the main thing about season 1 and season 2 Hannah are you ready for what we call a series of seemingly random questions <laughs> okay sure the first one is about bartending you mentioned earlier that during a brief time in your life you were a bartender if you had to choose a beer that represented your writing style, which beer would you choose? Oh my God, I'd probably choose like a microbrewery in Nova Scotia. <laughs> I love that. These ones are more rapid fire, so we can hop into the next one. The second one, how do you combat writer's block? Do you experience it? Is it real? Mm, I take a shower and go to bed and work on it the next day. I don't know if we've heard that before, but we have heard before that from, I believe, the associate producer of one of the Star Wars films, that the feeling of water flowing over you in the shower can actually help come up with ideas. Do you ever get any ideas in the shower? Yeah, that's why I take showers twice, three times a day. <laughs> I think we might have cracked the code here. This is a secret. Yeah, also your subconscious will solve shit overnight. Just ask yourself the question before you go to bed at night and sometimes you'll know in the morning. The next question, what motivates you to keep writing, creating and writing every day? A habit at this point, but I love it. And it makes my life good. If you could suggest a question that we ask one of our next guests, which question would you ask to the next guest writer and why? What will the future be? Because I'd like to know. I can't read it at all these days. feels really uncertain. Usually we then flip that question on you, but you blocked us on that because you said you don't know the answer, so we can't ask you that question. <laughs> so clever. Uh, the next question, if you could be any character from Interview with the Vampire, and we'll give you the option of choosing any version thereof, movie, the original book, and AMC. But for the purposes of this podcast, maybe you could choose an AMC version character. Who would you choose? Who's your favorite and why? Oh, shit. I mean, I think I'd probably choose either Madeline or Gabrielle. Gabrielle is uh, Lestat's mother, but he turns into a vampire. I'm really looking forward to her showing up in the show. Second to last question, if you could take any writer, living or dead, to any fast food restaurant, which writer would you choose which restaurant and why? To a fast food restaurant? We always ask that because a lot of people don't like fast food, but you could choose any <laughs> restaurant. I would take Alice Monroe for sure, who is a Canadian Nobel Prize in Literature winner. I guess that's obvious that she wouldn't win in economics. I would take her to like a small town diner in Southern Ontario, 
which is the area she writes about the most. Love that. And the last question, which we always ask every episode, and usually later compile them for writers, is if you could choose one learning or insight from your entire career to pass along to the writers who are listening right now, what's the one piece of advice that you would say? Oh, fuck. Uh, I want to give a more general one, but I would say like to like those people who are struggling to see themselves identified in work and who are struggling to have their work that is about a specific group or, you know, specific group with which they identify if they are struggling to get their work done, history is on our side. And I was told at the beginning of my career over and over and over that my, like my women centered plays were not welcome. And now they are. So keep going. Love that. And the last and most important question, we used to do a drum roll, but we're going to cut right to it. Um, (laughs) The last and most important question is, did you have fun today talking to us about Interview the Vampire, your career, all things writing and process. I really did. Thank you for having me. It was nice to talk about this. It was really detailed and specific to being a writer, these questions. It wasn't like, yeah, it was great. We like to hear that. We've been around for a little bit. I think the challenge is actually getting, you know, the more you have these conversations, you want to get, you know, deeper and deeper into the process. But how deep can you go, you know, in 30 to 45 minutes? So we really appreciate you. Before you go, just want to shout out Hannah's newest project, AMC's Anne Rice's interview with a vampire, where she is a writer and co-executive producer, is now streaming on AMC. And its finale premieres on TV next week, November 13th, 2022. Get excited. Please check it out. Hannah, thank you so much. Did you want to plug anything, social media, or anywhere someone can go to find you? Oh, I'm on Twitter and Instagram. You can find me really easily. It's just my name. And I believe that's it, Hannah. Thank you so much for your insights and time. It was an honor. Thank you so much. Thanks so much for having me and finding me, some weird Canadian person. (laughs) Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. And thanks to our listeners. We hope to see you next week. Thank you so much for listening to The Writer Experience. If you enjoyed the episode today, please leave a rating, a review, and a comment on iTunes. You can also check us out on Instagram at Writer Experience and Twitter and Facebook at Writer EXP. The Writer Experience is a Samurai Dinosaur production. Copyright 2019. All rights reserved. Music by Kevin McLeod. <laughs>